Well, good day to you, or good night, or good afternoon, or whenever you decide that you want to listen to this podcast. You might be a longtime listener or just tuning in, and you might have chosen to listen to today's for the first time because the album that we're discussing. But either way, welcome to Waterproof Records with Jacob Gibbons. It is I, Jacob Gibbons, and I'm glad to have you here. But we chose the album that we did today for very specific reasons. My guest, this is not only his waterproof record, but we chose to talk about it for a particular reason, which you'll find out in this show. But today I'm welcoming on Waterproof Records, Daniel G. Harmon. He is a songwriter, composer, all around great dude who I've had the pleasure of hanging out with, and he's a good friend. So without further ado, let's get into it. It's time to talk about August and Everything After by Counting Crows with Dan Harmon. Let's go. Things are going to change. I can feel it. It's just going to be that kind of fight. You know the drill before we get into it. I got to talk about DistroKid, my sponsor, and an amazing way to get your music out into the world. Um, I have a link. It's in the description of this episode, and you got to click on it because that's going to give you 30% off your first year of uploading music. And the, li- the link is easy to remember. It's just distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof. Um, you can click on it if you can't remember that for some reason, but it's very easy. And DistroKid is going to be the way that you can get your songs, all your music out to the world instantaneously. They have an app that you can use to monitor if people are streaming, what money you're making on it. You can do all sorts of cool things like split, split the revenues between you and the other artists that you collaborated with. It's just a fantastic tool and a way to get your stuff out there. So I highly recommend you check out DistroKid. You've probably heard of them before, but they're the easiest way to get your stuff on Spotify, YouTube, uh, Apple Music, everywhere all at once. So I use them. I love them. They're DistroKid. Check them out once again. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash waterproof. And that's going to get you that 30% off. But now that that's out of the way, we can get to the music. Not, not that I wanted to get that out of the way, but you know what I'm saying? I love district kid, but you, you tuned in because you wanted to talk about this album, or maybe you were surprised that I was talking about this album, but no surprise that we're talking to my guest who is very passionate about this album and this band. And we're about to learn more about that right now. So please welcome to waterproof records, Daniel G Harmon. I am so stoked to have you here today. Man, I um, I'm couldn't be happier to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a long, long time. Yes, yes. We've been talking about it for a while since the, the first time that we got a chance to hang out in real life, that we relive. I'm going to tell the audience a little bit about our tradition now. Uh, so Dan and I met through social media, and you know I discovered his music, and we've been talking ever since. And then he, he let me know, because he doesn't live where I live, that he was going to be in town. And so we met up. And we got to go to this Mexican restaurant where we had chips and salsa and margaritas and burritos. And uh, it was one of those places that they come in and they offer to take your picture, um, you know, to kind of commemorate this amazing dining experience. This is pretty common in a lot of, you know, Mexican restaurants. I just took my son and they do it for their birthday. So they put the sombrero on the head. But they asked Dan and I, who are hanging out for the first time, do we want our picture taken? And what did we say, Dan? Fuck yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fuck yes. Why wouldn't two grown adult men yeah. want to have a photo taken of them, you know, cheersing a margarita? Zero apprehension, romantic styles. Absolutely. Fully. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. So we got the picture taken and we had to make sure that there were two of them because I wanted one and Dan wanted one. So we both get our pictures and then we have continued this time honored tradition now of taking that photo and putting it in some random place where we are and sending a, a, a shot, the photo to the other. So like I, I went to rock and roll fantasy camp and I brought the picture of us toasting margaritas there and I put it on the amp and in the studio space, sent it to Dan. Dan sent it to me from his vacations. It's been... <laughs> It's been something that I hope we do until the day we die. That's what I hope. We will. I, Absolutely. I hope they bury, bury us with them. Yes, yes. I'm going to tell that to my wife. I'm going to say, hey, by the way, I know this is going to sound odd, but could you, when I die, if Dan's still alive, will you put the picture on my chest? Take a picture. Of my corpse. Of my corpse. 
and, and send it to Dan. <laughs> He'll get it. He'll get don't it. Worry, He'll, don't worry about it. He'll, He'll think it. it's very funny. Mm-hmm. Very funny. Anyway, so dude, I am so stoked that you're here and I want to, um, you know, I, I talked a little about, about you up top, but I want to give them an idea of just your musical journey about, you know, what led you to where you are today. And then we can dig into your waterproof record. Um, <laughs> but, um, but what I was going to say was, uh, so you're, you're originally from Arizona, right? That's yes. your, that's your home state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was I was actually listening to your um, awesome interview with Wally mm-hmm. Trifles, and uh, you and I kind of had a similar upbringing. You know, I grew up in a really small town, wasn't like going to punk shows or anything. And honestly, until I left, yeah. Um, and so I think I was kind of a little scared as well. You know, yeah. really, uh, my. Uh, Music for me came from my cousin who lived in LA and would send me, you know, recordings of K Rock of like Jed the Fish doing the, like what was the countdown? It was all mixed up or whatever where the countdown was in a weird right. order. Yeah. Um. So actual tapes of that and like Smith's tapes and also skateboarding videos. Um, yeah. Always had like cool, um, music to them and there was compilation videos that came out with like that's how I discovered like Dinosaur Junior and the Lemonheads and stuff, uh, and then. You know, Counting Crows came along my senior year, uh, which obviously isn't like punk, but was hugely influential, bigly influential to me as a musician. Um, yes. And we'll get into that in a minute. But, wink, uh, yeah. wink, nudge, nudge, even though you yeah. saw the title of the episode and you oh, know no. that we're going there. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just Spoiler. saying, I'm just saying they know, they know Spoiler. what's coming. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then I just moved to Phoenix right after high school. Um, I started playing guitar in high school and um, was like singing. I was in choir and stuff, um, but wasn't super serious about it. <clears throat> then moved to Phoenix, started, was in a band. Um, we were called Kendrick, which, uh, you know, if, if we were still around, we'd probably be sued. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though we were first. You were uh, <laughs> first. You were the first Kendrick. <laughs> yeah, of ever. What um, was the, what was the, was there a reason why it was called Kendrick back then? Yeah, it was a, t- I, um, there, there's a town called Flagstaff in Northern Arizona and there's a street called Kendrick that I remember I took a really cool, like black and white photo of in the snow of the street sign. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, that's really cool. That's a cool like word or name that I'd never heard before. And well, so, I, absolutely. I'd never heard the word or name before, you know, Kendrick came, Kendrick Lamar came along, yeah. you know? So it's like, that's yep. amazing. That's cool. So yeah. So I, we were called Kendrick and, um, that was fun. I played bass and sang <laughs> right, uh, right, right. because I really didn't know what, what I was doing. And then uh, five years later, I moved to, to Seattle. And honestly, you and I, again, similarities. I moved to Seattle because of fucking singles. Yeah. Like yeah. I, that was kind of my North star also in high school. It was like Pearl Jam. I love that stuff. And I saw singles and I was like, oh shit, this kind of changed my life. And so I moved here because I, you know, at the time Phoenix was a bit of a, artistic kind of wasteland you know yeah i I wanted to be in a place that people were making music you know and i knew this was 99 um so i moved here um didn't know anyone my best friend at the time and i moved up here together um didn't know anyone and just kind of got to work and then in 2001 i recorded my first record failures Um, in motion yes man I, I did my research. Nar- are you Narju walling me? Or- <laughs> I am absolutely, absolutely. I want, I, I want the audience, I want the audience to know that Jacob Givens does his research. Yes, Narjuwar is that how you say? Yeah, yeah. Narjuwar. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah, I recorded with Greg Markle, who was here last night, helping me do some stuff in my studio. Oh, um, I love it. He played at my wedding. Like we've been like really good friends for since we recorded that record twenty five years ago, I guess. Wow. Or twenty two years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's not yeah. round up. Let's not round yeah. up. So we gotta know, round down. For, uh, yeah. That, at our age, <laughs> it's good to round down. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, um, so yeah, uh, I think I was seventeen when I recorded that record. Yeah. Right. Hard, hardly. Um, so yeah, we did that, and um, I just kind of wanted to pursue it and did a little bit of touring and continued to put out records and, you know, never really got, you know, I think now it's kind of like a bit of a, everything works out for a reason, you know, but at that time I was really wanting to, to tour and, 
and play cool shows with like death cab and, and stuff like everyone does. But, um, it didn't work out that way. And, but I continued at it. Um, yeah. I worked regular jobs and, uh, did, I was a licensed electrician for eight years while I was still being a musician, playing shows, getting up at, you know, going to bed at one in the morning, getting up at, at four in the morning to go wire a building. Amazing. Um, it was. It wasn't. But uh, no, of it course, was, of it course. Was good, it was amazing, good amazing. The dedication <laughs> to the art. I know the. I know the story. I know the struggle. Very again, yeah. our paths are very similar. It's like we can't help it. You know what I mean? Yep. We can't help it. It's just a. It's it's a. It's a blessing and a curse. You you go. I've got to pay the bills. I have to work a job. No one has come along and handed me a million dollars and said, "Follow your dreams, kid." Yep. So I've got to just do it when I can do it, and that's often the middle of the night. And that was oh, yeah. that was that was me writing scripts or doing stand up comedy. It's funny because you know the music thing. I of course I still had a huge drive and passion for it, but I love watching your journey because I'm like, that's just another road that if I just put all of my energy into, I could have been as prolific as you are. Because if you go look at, you know, Dan's uh, music, Daniel G. Harmon on, on Spotify, it's got a ton of music yeah. and it's all great. And you've Thanks, just man. continued to chip away year after year after year, even though life's responsibilities have pulled you in other places. And I just think that that, Truly an artist, we just can't help ourselves. Whether we're getting global notoriety or we literally have a handful of loyal fans, it doesn't matter. We got to make yeah. stuff, right? Well, thanks, man. Thank you for saying that. And it, it was, you kind of hit the nail on the head because I had a similar crossroads where, you know, when that first EP came out, um, Greg was gracious enough to put it out on his label and it got some okay distribution and, you know, it didn't sell a ton or anything, but I was like, okay, I enjoy photography and I like, I would maybe wanted to do theater cause that was the thing I wanted to do. You know, I went to college briefly for, you know, and, or I wanted to be a graphic designer. And at that point I was like, well, I have to make a fucking decision because yeah. I can't, I can't do it all. And what's the thing that's always been with me. And it was music. And I, I, I chose to like continue on that path and kind of, you know, shut all the other outlets down, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. not, you know, permanently or anything, but at that time, this is where my focus needs to be. Needs Absolutely. To be. And so I've kept at it and I have, yes, a, a lot of records out and fast forward to, you know, I guess the pandemic and just through social media and connections that I have, I started being able to collaborate with a lot of, a lot of artists internationally and, you know, and nationally and, people always ask me like, what's the biggest, you know, marketing thing tool you can suggest for an artist. And I say it's collaborate with other artists because you get their audience base and vice versa. Um, yeah. and it, they push you in different directions that you not wouldn't necessarily go. You know, right. I always wanted to work in hip hop, but it wasn't until I started collaborating that I was like, Oh, now I I'm working with a hip hop artist or now I'm learning how to make hip hop beats because this is, that's their primary genre, that kind of thing. And so it pushes you to do like shit that you maybe had always wanted to do or had never thought that you could do. Yeah. Um, so collaborating, you know, pandemic, I put out a bunch of, you know, singles, uh, and that was awesome. I, I love all of them. Um, but then last June, um, I, uh, the night before my birthday, I broke my leg in like yeah. a weird, <laughs> weird accident. Um, like a slipped on a, t a tiny step coming out of my birthday dinner with my wife's aunt and uncle. And, um, I was in surgery the next day. It was a full like tib fib shatter. Like my leg was floppy, like a football player, you know, Oh, the tib fib <laughs> shatter is playing, I think in two weeks out in Palm them. desert. They're yeah. on Matador, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're on Matador. They're pretty heavy. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I, I've always loved that band. I think their earlier stuff uh, is a little better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, get, I, I hear you. For as a Tib Fib Shatter fan, you got to yeah. really get them at the early stuff. Right. I mean, they're no car seat headrest. But. <laughs> totally, totally. Anyway, anyway. So you had this terrible, terrible break off of yeah. a very, very small movement, which is always the right. It's just like the human body is so bizarre. We can do these these crazy things where our body experiences impact or you're, it's yeah. like such a close call. And then you have this slight movement and the body just goes, prep, 
And you go, yeah. why? Why? It wasn't like I was like, you know, snowmobiling off the back of a, no. a polar bear or anything. You were like that. you were Johnny Knoxville. This wasn't like, hi, welcome to Jackass. I'm gonna yeah. you know, you were leaving your birthday dinner and you yeah. stepped off a curb. Yep. And yep. it was rainy and mossy as it is in Seattle, and that was that. And so yeah. I you know, I was in the hospital for four days, uh, had a big surgery, came back and just basically lived in our bedroom for a month from month of June and Yeah. I had, um, I travel a lot, you know, personally and also like for work and stuff. And so I, I always take a little a synthesizer. It's called an OP one. It's like a teenage engineering thing. It's a four track synthesizer and drum machine. So I, my goal on all, all my flights was like, I'm just going to like write and record a full song and dump it into logic because, you know, I was tired of like watching movies and, and, you know, reading, I just wanted to do something productive while I was sitting yeah. there. So I did that and I had like six songs that I built out that they were very different than anything else I'd ever really done. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do with these. And then all of a sudden light bulb comes on while I'm like laying in bed with my leg up in June. And I was like, I asked my wife if she would grab my MIDI <clears throat> keyboard and she did. And so I, while she was asleep next to the dogs and I was like getting stoned and high on drugs. I was just <laughs> building these songs out and turning yeah. them into an ambient record. And yeah, they, uh, I ended up really falling in love with them and falling in love with that process. It was weird as someone that's, I've gotten into like keyboards and synthesizers, as you know, over the last couple of years, but my primary instrument is guitar and s singing. And I couldn't yeah. do either of those. So like removing those, that those pieces was scary, but also kind of freeing. And yeah. the problem with that I find with a lot of electronic or ambient music is there's not like a, a strong sense of melody in a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, no disrespect. There's a lot of artists that do it, but that do it really well. But I was like, my strong suit I've always felt has been melody and whether mm -hmm. it's vocal melody or guitar or bass melody. So I was like, I want to build these songs out, but I don't want them to just be like five, sections of things i want sure. them to have something that ties them all weaves them all together so that was kind of my goal and i did it the songs um there were, i did six on that first one that came out in last september and then i was i enjoyed that process so much and enjoyed that genre of music so much that i wanted to continue so the next round i invited some kind of friends along some collaborators um cory wong is on there a, a lot of youtubers that i know are, are on there did another batch uh, that came out in June and then I pressed vinyl and that came out uh, about a month ago. So I smashed the two volumes together. Unspoken ghost. Awesome. Anyway, that's, that was my, my last year essentially. Um, and you know, I don't know if it's serendipity or circumstance or, or whatever the word, but it all kind of worked out, you know, yeah. and my injury was fucked up and it sucked and it was hard for really hard for my wife. Cause she had to literally do everything. And, um, but it's leading me in new directions. Um, yeah. I'm starting to, uh, I'm about to start scoring a podcast, like, which is scoring is where I have ultimately want to be. So, and I think a lot of that came because of this experience, you know, and that being able to do this type of music that I, wouldn't have necessarily done before or not known how to do, but yeah. I've kind of found my, found my footing in. So. I, yeah, I found your footing. Couldn't help myself. The, the yeah. dad jokes in me will never end. Um, Finally but I, found my footing. Cause I did not. That yes. <laughs> no, I think that's so fascinating. And I do think that um, we've often found uh, in life, right? The limitations lead you down these different creative paths. I think that, in a weird way, it's good when you can't do the thing that you do the best sometimes because it forces you to try other things. Um, I think it goes back to what we were just talking about, about going through our young adult life and wanting to try so many different things. I think that when we were children, there was this idea of like you grow up, you do the career that you're set to do, and then that's it. Like that's the plat the path. But for people that consume a lot of different types of media, that are avid readers, they love cinema, they love music, they love art, digital art, everything, it's impossible to not be lured in and be like, but I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to create these things. And I remember not too long ago, I was 
it was a couple years ago when I was first going up on social media and sharing my stories about things. And I made a video that was like talking about my journey in LA. And I was like, I did this as an actor. I did this as a comedian. I did this as a writer. I wrote an album, blah, blah, blah. And somebody commented, they were like, you didn't succeed because you didn't do one of them enough. And I was like, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Right. I, if I, it, that's, you don't have this mathematical equation that you just go, that's it. I'm only going to act. So I'm definitely going to make it in Hollywood because it's the only thing I'm going to do. It's like, it's just not that simple. Um, you, you create and pursue things and you, you write songs, you perform because you need to, you have to. And then sometimes life comes along and says, you can't do that thing right now anymore, or you have to switch gears. And I love the fact that there you were probably incredibly depressed with a broken leg, unable to do the thing that you want to do. And you pivoted and you said, I'm going to take this thing. By the way, I want to know what that device is that you're talking about. I'm like, I feel like I need to get one of these, this little, the The recorder. Yeah. 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 They're awesome. Um, Jeez. It's it's on my shelf shelf right there. It's, it's really cool in that it, you know, uh, you can actually record on it, you know, Mm -hmm. you can make beats. So I would always just kind of start with like a drum loop and then add a synth to it and then layer a couple other things on that. I would limit myself to the four tracks and then dump it into logic and be done with it. And like yeah. these, a lot of these were songs that I hadn't heard in like six months. Yeah. Um, Cause I just had forgotten about it or moved on to another thing. It, even if I hadn't done anything with those songs, it was just still fun <laughs> making them. Yeah. You know? but, and um, just kind of being creative while in a trapped little pod flying through the air. Yeah, know? absolutely. Um, but uh, but this is this is what will lead us to kind of you know the the journey of your songs, your albums that you've put out over the years, um, continually writing and recording. It all started somewhere, and usually that's a very pivotal moment. And you know one of the reasons that I created this podcast is this idea that songs or music is introduced to us at those you know very formative years of our lives where we're we're just being molded and shaped into who we're going to become. And I'm fascinated by, you know, what it is the thing. And it's funny because when Walter was on and I asked him, you know, he was trying to explain to me that when I asked him, I was like, what's the album that made you want to write music? And it it dawned on me that I'd been asking two different questions of my guests and I hadn't even put it together. The idea of a waterproof record is one that's timeless, but the one that spurs us on is a kind of a different thing because it can be it can be this album or this piece of music that we heard and it changes forever how we write or perceive music, but it's not necessarily the one that we say that's my favorite album of all time. So I think that that's the interesting thing about a waterproof record for me is that it, it's kind of all of those things in one it's, it's the album that got us creatively to move down a very specific path. And then that way it makes it kind of, you can never sink it. You can never, it's, it's always going to be one of the ones that you hold up. Is it your favorite album? Not necessarily, but it's definitely a big one. Yep. So how old were you when you started playing uh, an instrument? Do you 17. remember? 17. Yeah, it was my senior year, and I didn't turn 18 until I graduated, like right yeah. after I graduated. So, yeah, seven, I was 17, and I got um, gi- I got given. <laughs> um, got given. I, I was given a guitar. I worked the night crew at Safeway, um, which is a grocery store where I grew up. And I, during the summer I was a stalker. And so, um, one of the, I befriended a dude or he befriended me who knew that I loved music. And he's like, well, I've got this piece of shit acoustic guitar. You're welcome to it. And so he brought it in and that was kind of where it started. And that I, when he says piece of shit, he's not joking. It was like the strings were like a mile off the fretboard and, and which to me, which, was br- savage, like brutal to try to learn on, but right. the best thing to learn on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, your, your, your hands are never going to be stronger than yeah. that. Yeah. And by yeah. the way, ladies and gentlemen, he was a stalker, not a stalker at the grocery <laughs> store. I just want to clarify. I was, a, I was a night stalker. I was a uh, night stalker at Safeway. It's, yeah. It's not a, not weird, right? Yeah. 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 No, but I, most first <laughs> instruments for us, you know, I don't know anybody who started playing, 
guitar and they're like yeah yeah yeah, like (laughs) my parents bought me a martin or a taylor or a gibson les paul and i have the best instrument to start out with most parents at least in our generation right or you know mine was a christmas gift it's like i think they probably understand like this could be a phase and so you know like i'll get you a guitar for christmas but it it ain't gonna be anything that is you're gonna keep forever my first guitar was a harmony electric and i think at the time it was 99 dollars. no disrespect to my mom and dad for spending what they could on 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 christmas for me to have that but um it was not a good guitar so it's not one that i'm like this is the guitar i learned on um but do you still have the acoustic with the high action anywhere it's long gone i wish i did i mean i've had there's another guitar i know where it exists my friend jacob has this like my first electric guitar it was a strat i don't know where i got it Maybe his dad gave it to me and I gave it back to him. But he, my friend Jacob has it now. And um, not this Jacob. It's another Jacob. Otherwise I would Jacob. tell, otherwise I would send it to you right away. <laughs> different BFF Jacob. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't have it. Um, and it's funny that you say that about your parents. You know, my parents wanted nothing to do with me doing, playing music at all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, Satan. Uh, Satan. Well, that was, I mean, as my listeners know, it was a big thing. I don't think my mom and dad, especially my mom, was hoping that when I got a guitar, I'd be learning the demonic metal that I was trying yes. to learn. Yeah. I think she was hoping I would come out and sing Willie Nelson or Neil Diamond or maybe yeah. a nice Christian contemporary. Maybe I do some DeGarmo. Some Amy Grant. Yeah, Amy Grant, DeGarmo and Key or Michael W. Smith. You know, maybe that was her hope and, and prayer for me. But Throw um, down some DC talk. DC uh, talk, baby. <laughs> audio audio adrenaline. I can name them oh all. Oh, my God. Yeah, Newsboys. Newsboys. <laughs> um, but so so you get your you get your guitar, your acoustic guitar. And is it at this time? That we're going to go ahead and say, Daniel G. Harmon, what is the album that you chose today? Well, it has to be um, Counting Crows, August and Everything After. There you go. So um, did you it was, hear I this? I think, around that time. Yeah. Because that came out in 93, or yeah. in August of 93. Actually, it came out in September of 93. I think so. Um, and... I had just started my senior year. I would have just gotten gotten. That's a, is that a word, Jacob? It is. It's a word. You're doing. You're <laughs> oh, doing great. You. Got it. You just got. Right. <laughs> I'm I'm gotten by on this podcast. I'm yes. just gotten by. Um, I had just received it, and uh, yeah, I I I loved that record right away. Um, but it wasn't. I don't think at that time the thing that wanted got me to want to play guitar because when you first hear music and you have an instrument, you don't know what the fuck is going on. Totally. You know, like I, it took me forever to know what, like I always call it the like Jimmy world, like chugga chugga, like yeah. what a ch- chugga chugga was or how to do that, you know, right, right. Or what delay was and why those guitars sound so weird on this song, but so clean on this song. You don't have any fucking concept. You don't even know if no. it's a guitar. You no, know? there's no foundation. And in the, in the nineties, it's not like anything was readily available to yeah. teach you. You couldn't look up a YouTube video to see like, oh, that's how that happens. You go to a guitar, a music store, and there's these stomp boxes behind glass, and you're like, what do these do? And you know, and nowadays there's thousands of different variations, hundreds of thousands of different pedals. But back then it was like, you know, it was like there, it was pretty stripped down, pretty bare. There was only a couple selections of different things, you, different directions you could go. But the sounds you're hearing on these albums and these records you had nobody to explain, hey, the instrument in your hand is making a lot of these really strange sounds because of patches and loops. And, you know, it, it you, you don't know what that is. And it takes time. Totally. Yeah. And whatever dark magic the edge summons. Like, right. Who knows what the right. fuck that is? Right. You know? <laughs> right. You're like, when when was he playing outside of a canyon, you know, and yeah. just was like. I want my guitar to have sustain that will echo all the way through this canyon and then come back to me in a song. And they're like, but we got you. also bounce off all, all the walls. All the way down. Through. All yeah. the way down. And he was and like, can, can anybody do that tone for me? And somebody was like, yes, Edge. Yes, I can. I got your guy. His name is Brian Eno. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's going to do it for you. Yeah. He's going to do it for you. So you, you get this album. You also have your instrument at the time. But... What is it that really uh, grabs you about August and everything after by County Crows? What is the thing that that happened in your brain when you heard this album? Hard question. Yeah. You know, I didn't have MTV or anything like that. I didn't know what these 
you know, dudes looked like or, or what was going on with them. It was just the melodies of these songs that were so beautiful and heartbreaking. And something in me was like, there's something about how this guy phrases his, his, you know, lyrics and his delivery over that guitar that is not something I've, I had heard before and maybe not anything I've heard since, to be honest with you, because mm. we'll get into it. But like, as I was recording, re-recording that record, that shit was a fucking marathon because I, that dude I can't even is imagine. the most verbose motherfucker ever. And his delivery is so interesting and beautiful. It's like a rapper, you know, um, the way he, his um, delivery of lyrics over over the guitars and instruments is just so unique to him. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's probably why they kind of became popular and it's not a thing that you can really explain. Like I'm trying to, but I can't, you know, yeah. like it's just that, and the hooks were perfect. And I, I always thought of it. I always thought of myself as like a non-traditional songwriter as far as structure goes. But mm-hmm. to me, that was just like, being lazy and not knowing how to write a song, you know? And I thought, uh, I, uh, I kind of looked at those songs. I was like, Oh, that's weird structure. But it wasn't until I actually broke them down that I was like, Oh, it's all exactly the same. It's all like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus out like every single song, but they do it so well. And there's so much interesting dynamic in there that makes it seem non-traditional. If that makes sense. A hundred percent. 100%. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, it's it, it's interesting because this works in every field of study. Um, like for example, screenplays. When people come to me and they say, "Look, well, how do you write a screenplay?" I'm like, "You're gonna want to understand these act structures first. You're gonna want to know the moments there." And you know, a lot of young writers will say, "Like, well, I want to, I want to be able to do something like that's avant garde and off off the grid and kind of do something out of the box." I'm like, "You can, but you have to have know how the structure works first, and then you get to play around with the structure or you get to develop it in such a way." But it was that sounds kind of like it's gonna slow down the creative process. But there is something about if you know how a strong song can be formulated, the path, then you can make the dynamics of where you're going with it so much more unique to you. But that foundation is very important to have before, you know, you avant garde artists like Shudder to think, you know, Craig Wedron, he knows that his song may be weird and off kilter, but he absolutely knows verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge. He knows it. So that he can then leave it and come back in a unique way. So it's it's really important to know that. And it wasn't honestly in it wasn't until twenty one years of making records that I fucking realized that. To be honest sure. with you, you sure. know, I I was like, I'm just gonna write these parts and then that's it. Yeah, you know, that I don't want to ever say, uh, you know, do talk shit about my back catalog or say I could have done better. Cause it, it was what it was. Right. It's a, and it is what it is. Sure. It's a moment in time. Yeah. But I never took the fucking Dave Bazan advice, which was like, how do you write a great song? And Dave would say, you listen to this record and you learn that record, you know, yeah. any, take your favorite record and learn it. Yeah. And I never did that until now. And now I'm like, well, fuck, this kind of changes everything. Yeah. Now, I'm not musically trained. I don't, I barely know what chords I'm playing unless it's like first position. It's a hundred percent ear. Yeah. I'm, I'm the not same. ever going to probably change that part of me. But as far as like the structure of how to write a song that has been kind of changed, shaken up since redoing this record. And as I'm glad you just, you know, we, we said that. So I wanted to share with the audience uh, Dan just released his own version of August and everything after you can go listen to his take his cover of the album start to finish. And it's only been out a couple weeks. He did a fantastic job. It's excellent. It's so well recorded. Um, you really do have the process down to where this sounds like a, a, a you know, very, very high quality uh, recording. He handled a lot of the dynamics and it's his own version of this album that's iconic for him. So I highly recommend, you know, if you're not familiar with Counting Crows, August and everything after or 
um, you know, go check out his his album. It's great. Nice. It's great. And then go into his back catalog as well. But this is one of the reasons why we're talking about this right now is he's just gone through the entire process of re-recording this uh, 30 year old classic album. So, yeah. And it wasn't until. I started the process that I realized it was 30 years. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I talked to you, when we were hanging out last January, I brought this up to you because you were like, I'd like to have you on the show. Yeah. What, would you, what record would you do? And I was like, well, I'd probably do this record. But I was like, let's wait because I'm going to do this. You had an idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the way that I turn ideas into real things is I talk about them. Right. Because then I commit, I'm committed to it. You know, yeah. like now you know about it. Right now, my wife knows about it. My friends know about it. So if I don't do it, if then I, I you know, I don't want to say I'm, I'm embarrassed, but it, you know, you're making it more of a real thing when you commit to it by saying you're going to do a thing. I do the exact same thing. Exact yeah. same thing. I, I I tell people in my life that I'm going to do this thing, and then that kind of holds me accountable so that I'll do it. Yeah, accountability. There, mm -hmm. that's the word I was looking for. And. You know, when I first, so this record has never left me. And, you know, I said when I posted about it, like no one really knew, but I, I posted my little story. I was like, I left the town I grew up in the two days after I graduated high school. And I listened to this CD like on repeat counting mm -hmm. like, and it was just so that was such a traumatic experience leaving the town, even though it was what I needed, what I wanted. But, you know, you're leaving everything, you know, behind to move to a city this record helped me on that journey and I've listened to it all the time since then and for 30 years, you know, and it, for the last couple, I guess for the last year or so, my thing is like, we'll watch TV. <laughs> my wife will go upstairs with the dogs and I'll clean downstairs. Like I tidy the kitchen and, you know, clean the couch and do the dishes and all that stuff. So when we come downstairs in the morning, it's nice and ready for us or crisp for the, for the new day. Yes. So I'll generally have headphones on sometimes be a little whiskey drunk and just like <laughs> love it. Oftentimes in those, what I'm listening to was that record just over and over and over and over and over again. And you find yourself clear, obviously singing along and thinking, God, that's so fucking beautiful. I would love to do something like this. And then I was like, well, I'm just going to fucking do it. Mm -hmm. Like it seemed so absurd that I was like, <laughs> whatever. I'm just going to do it. I just don't care. Do you know, yeah, absolutely. And I told my wife <laughs> and she was like, whatever, dude. Like, <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, and then she's like, now I have to listen to that shit all the time. Uh, so funny. <laughs> not, not that record, but me but trying to your version record. of that record. Yeah. <laughs> and I told Ryan, uh, Leva, AKA Johnny nails who mixes and does a lot of production stuff for me. I told him about it and he didn't know the, there's a lot of blows my fucking mind, dude. There's a lot of people, even our age that don't know the record. Yeah. And he's like, listen, man, I support you in this, but don't spend too much time on it. Get, get it done. I'll help you with it. But then get back to what you're, you're, you should be doing. And I was like, right. okay, total, totally good advice. But then, but I realized in that moment, this is what I should be doing. Yeah. You know, this is all I'm thinking about. Yeah. How am I going to do this? What's the best way to record it? You know? And I had a process for all of that. So I started in June and finished in August. Um, and had to get it out. I had to fucking get it out. And here's why. Once I realized it was the 30 year anniversary for it, game was on. Cause I was like, this motherfucking Ryan Adams is going to beat me to it. Yes. Cause that dude is dropping every single record these days. Oh my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So you're like, I got to do it first. I got to do it yeah. first. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't want to be like the guy that drops the album, like the week after or the day after like Ryan Adams does it or something. Does the whole you know? thing. Yeah. Oh my God. That's amazing. So, so here comes, this is the, the part of the show where I, I do the dun, dun, dun. No, I'm just kidding. No, but my honest confession, which I have since changed my mind, but this is very important to what I talk about on the show about music arriving at very specific windows in our life. And when you say this album means something to me and somebody goes like, eh, it's, um, take it or leave it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's 1993, you've just left home, this album lands in your life. I'm a freshman in high school when August and Everything comes after, and the first song I hear by Counting Crows is Mr. Jones. And I write it off 
completely. I'm like, not interested, don't like this, don't enjoy it, click off. And so I, by the time round here comes around, now remember, I'm a freshman, I'm much younger, and for whatever reason. <laughs> don't get cocky. Yeah, no, no, what <laughs> I mean that is. that much younger, buddy. <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to say I'm younger as in think about how, <laughs> well played, well played. Not that much younger, but. Let's talk about what changes in your mind, in your body, and in your spirit from age 13, 14 to 17, 18. I have a 15-year-old here now, and I'm getting to see it in real time as an outsider. And the boy that he was and the boy that he's becoming is happening so fast. And the man he's becoming, Mm -hmm. I would say. And I think that when I was a freshman in high school and Counting Crows lands in my lap, I wasn't ready for this introspective, I'm kind of disillusioned with some of the things that have been thrown at me in life and things don't make sense like they were supposed to at this age. Adam Duritz is writing poetry and I'm over there with my angsty, angry, all my emotions are important feelings. And I'm like, eh, I'm not into it. You know, round here comes out. It wouldn't be until years later when I was much more, uh, you know, mature and able to kind of listen to the words or understand that I started to understand Counting Crows. Now, the second album, see, one of my best friends in high school, he was a year older than me and he absolutely loved Counting Crows and he would always talk about him. And I was never a, you know, I've never been a dick. I had friends that were definitely dicks about stuff. You know what I mean? But the, um, I would be like, yeah, yeah. Okay. But inside my head, I was like, not for me, not heavy enough, not rocking enough. (laughs) But when recovering the satellites came out in 1996 and I heard I'm not sleeping, I went, wait, hang on, hang on a second. The silences. Yeah. I, and Yeah. And then, and then there was the one that was on the DGC rarities, the, uh, blah, 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 what's it called? Einstein on the beach. Yeah. And these songs were coming out slowly, but I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for counting crows. All I, I thought man. of, you know what I mean? I, I was watching, um, I had a lot of MTV and you basically in 1993, you'd be like, okay, counting crows is that band where that guy who sings it has dreads and hangs out with a cast of friends all the time. That's basically <laughs> the perception. Out. Exactly, <laughs> is dating one of the females from all of from them. All of them at, yeah, Ross is on time. that list. Yeah, right, right. You're going, you're going. This dude's just fucking his way down the cast of Friends. He's writing songs about being around here. You know, Mr. Jones, all stuff. And it wouldn't be until I start finally giving them a a, a re-listen, a re-examine when I'm older, and I go, oh. Oh, oh, I get it now. So I do love this album, but I was a young, immature brat and I didn't get it back then. I get that. I mean, I totally understand. And and to be fair, (laughs) you know, Counting Crows isn't my favorite band, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this record. I love a lot of the next record and I love the song Colorblind uh, off their third record. But then... You know, I'm not discrediting their catalog or anything, but then I just they kind of just fell off for me. Sure. And I'm very I'm very much like that with a lot of bands that I am just deeply passionate about. I'm deeply passionate about one or two albums. A hundred percent. Not a full catalog guy for hardly anyone, to be honest. No, and nor nor I I think that everybody maybe has maybe. I'm going to say Unless that maybe it's quicksand or blur. Yes. yes I was going to say you <laughs> maybe choose one band, maybe two that you're full catalog on. Yeah. But I get this question all the time in my videos and social media. They're like, do you know about the insert band here? Latest album or how, how come you haven't even talked about this release? That's from 2018 from an artist that would have been huge in the, in the nineties. And I'm like, because when I was 15, that was the most important, powerful thing that I could possibly hear at the time. But now I'm 45 and you're dropping new tracks from this artist on me. They don't have the same resonance. They don't have the same impact. I'm in a completely different place in my life while I listen to them and go, oh, 
what a familiar voice that sounds a little bit older and more gravelly and what higher production quality that this band has. But my commitment to bands like the pumpkins that hasn't been without its anguish. You know what I mean? Like, like I've, I've said this, I think I've said it on the show before. It's like being a fan of a sports team that has, that has good seasons and bad seasons. You, once you kind of commit on to full catalog, you're going to be disappointed. Totally. You're, you're going to have albums come out that you go, that's eh, not great. And everybody's and everybody else is like, it sucks. And you're like, no, it's just, you just don't get it yet. You know, you want to defend your artist or like, but, can you believe your favorite band just dropped this clunker? Yeah. And you're like, like, I, you just take it so deeply. Take it so deeply. You're like, look, look, you, what you don't understand is that the members are, we're going through something very dark and it's completely understandable. But just allow let it grow on you. Let it grow on you, man. <laughs> and so for Counting Crows, 100%, I get that you're like, it's not my favorite band of all time. But what, and that's that's the power of these moments and why I loved that you set up when you heard it, where you heard it, how old you were. Because those albums that land like a meteor in our lives, you know, they just, they punch us. And it, you'll just, you're just never the same after. And so yeah. uh, this album for you is, is one of those albums. And that just, that moves me. And I was listening to it this morning. I was listening to it last night and I was picturing, you know, just sitting there, you know, I poured myself a cup of coffee and I was just like looking out the window and I was like, yeah, this is, this is how you listen to this. This is, <laughs> this is August and everything after, you know, yeah. this is, this is the feel. Oh, so, thanks. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was a great selection and and for people that were teenagers like like me that dismissed it because you heard a couple, you know, radio singles that didn't didn't connect with you the right way. I'd, I highly recommend you go in there and you listen to the album again with new ears, new eyes and and uh, experience it. You know, there is and and there were songs on there that I don't even think I realized how well I knew them until I heard them again. Yeah. Like I didn't even realize a uh, rain song or what rain that's King? rain King. Yeah. 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 That one I was like, see, look, look how little I know my shit. I'm, I'm like rain song. No, I was like, Oh, I know this song so well. And then the last one on the album, which if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it a, a hidden track? Um, no, the- it's just got, um, it has some, like some modulated feedback that starts the track. So it doesn't start right away. Oh, a murder of one. That's the yeah, one I'm thinking of. Probably. You know, one of my favorite songs on the whole fucking record. Yes. And, um, I, I, I was like you, like no disrespect to Mr. Duritz, but like Mr. Jones wasn't my thing. Yeah. It wasn't until I heard and it. To be honest, still isn't my favorite song off the record to me no. that I love round here, but it, it round here is a great doesn't song start until for me personally until perfect blue buildings. And then yeah. it just goes to this completely fucking insane place you know and that's why i tracked it sequentially i tracked it in order because there were songs that like i wasn't fully in love with but wanted to love that i knew i had to get through before i got to the stuff that i was really most excited about yeah as a body of work it's a fucking perfect record yeah um of course there are songs that you like less and you like more but i the way that i know now that i did what that I set out to do, what I set out to do was make a record that I wanted to listen to. And that's kind of always my goal now Yeah, is I find myself listening to this version more than the original, which is wild yeah. to me. That's but awesome. I don't know if I'm still listening to it going like, fuck, I should have done that differently. Or I meant to add this, but I didn't, you know, I don't know if I'm still like picking it apart, but I, I genuinely love it. You know? Yeah. And I, th- that's all that matters at the end of the day. That's all that matters is that we, we love the things that we put them out in the world. The reason you create anything right is to share something that we love with others. We're trying to take something that connects with us and then show it to somebody else. And you wanted to show like, not only can I play counting crows, August and everything after for you, but I'd like to show you what my, energy what my feeling is on this album and i want to share that with you that that means something and so it's it's funny because their choice their label's choice probably more than likely for mr jones to be the the first single you get why they did it you got it's a it's a pop hit it's a you can still you can still see you could be at a bar right now on a 90s night and mr jones would come on and you'll see everybody just like 
like this. Yeah. You know, it'll and it'll. You're not changing the radio. Yeah, you're, you're not, not changing, changing the radio. You're gonna you're gonna jump up. You're me <laughs> yep. like ah. So it yep. did it. It did it. But I think that if you if you get into the other songs in the album, you start to realize like oh, there's a lot of poetry. There's a lot of introspection. Um, I talked to moment ago about my friend Peter he was a year older than me he was crazy about it and I would describe Peter as being a very introspective friend of mine I think he was somebody that was especially in that era of his life he was an actor like me but he was much more kind of processing you know meaning and depth and I think that that's that's the people that this album was was written for so um so anyway I yeah it's it's just awesome so again August and everything after Counting Crows and then they're you know, they made many albums, many live recordings, and are they still together oh, to yeah. this day? They're they still just going. did a huge tour with Dashboard. Yeah, awesome. Um Yeah, I uh I've never seen them live. I'd like I to. never have either. Um uh but yeah, never seen them. Just I love I love this record. And what's wild to me, dude, is I've sent it to a lot of people, I've posted it on my socials and stuff, and I have people who are much younger than me who know music. They say, I think this is the best thing that you've ever done. I can't believe you wrote these songs. And I'm like, Oh geez. Okay. So okay. That's okay, really wait, wait. great. That's, that's nice a, to hear. I, I appreciate that but so much. It blows it's, my mind that like people just had never, just even the name alone to me is like, Oh yeah, obviously this is that County Crows record, you know, yeah. like that people think it's a new thing. Man. I think that to me, that's kind of beautiful. Cause that was part of why I wanted to do it was like, to introduce people to it, you know, because right. it's been 30 years. There's definitely people that exist that were born after 9-11. Absolutely. <laughs> which, that's a thing. Can you believe yes. that? Yes. Um, uh, that have never heard it before. But it isn't until people are like, yeah, this is a good record that you did, that you wrote. I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, oh, yeah. It's so important to me that how could everyone in the world not have heard it, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the thing that I forget all the time is that... Um, when I make videos about songs um, and people our age will say things like they'll, you know, like my buried treasure series, right? Where I do songs on Sundays that are like, this is a buried treasure. And oftentimes people say not buried for me, or I hear the song all the time and I'm going, yeah, you're, you're forgetting something. Cause even, even past nine 11, my, my son was born in 2008 and he's 15. What? So you go, you go people who were born in 2008 who are teenagers and accessing music for the first time and also falling madly in love with the nineties. It's pretty common for, you know, these young teenagers now to hear bands from the nineties and be like, wow, why is this so different than what's here now? And you're like, well, so much has changed in the world. You know, we've gone, we've gone, we've gone so much more into this music is readily available and anybody can, it can make it and record it. It was just, a, it was a lot less back then. And the drive to kind of push the envelope during that decade was, was pretty intense just to try something different. And people were getting exposure on the radio and on MTV that you were surprised because these, these, these executives were going, these teenagers seem to like stuff that we don't expect. So yeah, let's try let's, it. <laughs> let's try it. Let's try anything. And so when I make a video about a song and, and people our age go like, well, yeah, I know that song. I'm like, I'm not making this for you. I'm not making this for you. I know you know it. Yeah. We're standing here together and going, of course I remember this song, but yeah. you know how awesome it is when a, when a fucking 17 year old goes, I've never heard this song before in my life and it's changed me forever that I get to participate in some small way in that moment. You kidding me? That is, that is fucking awesome. And that's what you're doing as well is that you're letting people hear and experience something. It's magical for you. And then they get a chance to go back and discover this album and open that door up. And I think that that is a cool place to be. So I, Think about we're we're 16 years old, and can you imagine somebody somebody just like would who would you know we didn't have the internet right, but they would just be like hanging out at a record store, and they'd be like, man, you've never heard you know Houses of the Holy, the Beatles, you, you've never heard yeah. the Beatles, and they just sit down and they start showing you. You would be like forever grateful. You would tell stories for the rest of your life about the guru at the record store that showed mm-hmm. you what real music was. So you're. God damn right. I'm going to talk about every single song, album, band I love 
from my youth up until now because I just want to be part of sharing art and love with people. You know, I am with you, man. And, you know, I thought of something that melted my mind. Yeah. This record came out 30 years ago, which to me and probably to you seems like just yesterday. This is our old man shit right here. Totally. Like, feels like it was just yesterday. Shit. Feels like yesterday. But if you go back 30 years to 93 and 30 years beyond that was the fucking Beatles. Like totally. 63. Like totally. that seems like the deep past, you know, deep past when we were kids and you, and somebody said the Beatles, you'd be like, Oh, that's old music. And so then you go, okay, so what is 1993 sound like to somebody in 2023? Who's young. They go, Oh my God. Old music. Old music. That's way back when my dad loves that classic stuff. rock. Yeah. yeah. Classic rock. Oh man. This is exactly what I hoped it would be, which was yeah. I, we, we, we would get into, um, how albums touch us at different points in time in our life. And, and you really, you really, really set it home. And I love that oh, you man. did this project. I really oh, did. Dude, thank you so much. I, I love it so much and I'm very glad I did it. And, um, you know, I did, I don't know if I'll ever do it again with another record, but sure. the, cause there's just not, I could do it with another record, but it wouldn't have the same feeling, you know, cause yeah. this was the one that was, if I was going to do it, I would have to do because it's was yeah. so it affected me so deeply. You know, yeah. Still yeah. Still yeah. It makes me feel like I should try to cover Siamese dream, except I'm going to have to find one hell of a drummer. <laughs> oh, my God. You probably have access to him, though. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Dude, you know, it would be another one. The first third eye blind record. Oh, that's a good one. That's a really dude, good one. Talk yeah. about like getting past the hits. Yeah. It's kind of like the semi charm life is the fucking Mr. Jones of that record. Totally. It's it the one that everybody like, knows. The yep. deep cuts hit. That's when the the record really has teeth. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's another good one. It's another yep. good one. Looks like I'll have to have you on next year. After you cover that entire album. No. Well, that came out in 97. So in you got a few years. more years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Got a few more years. Got a few more years. Oh man. Dude. Well, Daniel G. Harmon, everybody, make sure you go uh check out his music. It's streaming pretty much everywhere, but you just you just put his name in the search bar and you'll find it. But I'll link on this episode uh, you know, ways that you can check out this uh cover album that he did and uh you can look at all of his uh music and work that he's put out over the years. But man, I'm so glad we got to pull this together. And may the tradition of our photos being shared. You know what? I what an idiot. I should have had it right here with me. Oh, I should have just I- had it over my shoulder. Somebody's well, got to have it. It's right there. The picture. I have the Counting Crows record there. There it is. I, I texted you yesterday the picture of he did it on top the, the our photo on top of that. Maybe we can use that for some promo shit. For we should kids. totally use that for promo <laughs> shit. We should totally use that for promo <laughs> shit. I love it. I love it. Well, is there anything else that uh, you wanted to share before we when we say adios? No, I mean just thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. You know, always um, being supportive of my music and new people that may have come to me through this podcast or through this record, it, you know, it really means the world to me. So thank you. And awesome. But to, honestly, don't take my word for it. Go check out the original August and everything after and, uh, have your fucking mind blown, have that, um, you know, be your, your sunken treasure. Yes, yes, you know? yes, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Well, thanks, Dan. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Um, in, in, in five years, I guess. Yeah. I'll see you in five years. <laughs> Later, man. Bye. Bye. What an awesome guest. He's such a great guy. And I had so much fun, uh, talking with him about this album and I was a little nervous. There were nerves in me about sharing the fact that the album didn't land, um, for me at the age that I was. And that was something that, you know, we hung out and talked and I knew that this album meant a lot to him, but I'm just one of those people that I've never wanted to be like, that band sucks, which I don't think that at all. I just, it was like every time we were talking about the album, I was like, I don't really want to sit here. And while he's sharing about what he cares about, um, I don't want to sit here and naysay it. You know what I mean? So I, I knew I wanted to just share that information with him when we could have a chance to sit down, talk about it in depth. And I could also share that it just took me some time to figure it out. And like he said, so perfectly, I discovered it eventually. So, um, I'm so glad we got a chance to dig into that album today and the album that came afterwards, Recovering the Satellites. I love that one too. I think it's a really good record and I think you should check it out. But um, more importantly, you should be checking out Daniel G. Harmon's stuff. Uh, I've linked it in this episode. It's in the body of, of this video here and I'll put it on the socials and all the promotion 
Jenkins things. So you can go check out all the music that he's been writing over the years. He really is a super talented guy. Um, really great guy. He puts a lot of heart and passion behind what he does and you can hear it in his music. And honestly, he, it's so impressive that he did this whole album, August and everything after, um, start to finish. I mean, that is quite an undertaking. And as you can see, it meant a lot to him. And now he's proud of it. And I can understand why, because I've heard it and it's remarkable just to take on a, a body of work like that and try to recreate it in your own voice is awesome. So thanks again for joining me today for Waterproof Records. Thank you to Daniel G. Harmon for joining me on the show. It was great having you on and, uh, you know, look forward to to hanging out and, and getting together again soon for some margaritas and take more funny pictures that we can share over the years. Um, thanks again, everybody. Have a good one. And we'll see you next time on Waterproof Records. Bye. Things are going to change. I can feel it. It didn't go be that kind of fun. It was-